Welcome to Camping Out, a podcast about interesting people, stories, adventures, and their impact in the world, usually through the lens of outdoor adventure. I'm Dan Camp, and tonight we are sitting around the campfire with Wesley Trimble from the American Hiking Society. The AHS is on a mission to make the American hiking experience more accessible and more available to everyone who wants to take a walk in our nation's wonderful outdoor spaces. This includes having permanent access to meaningful hikes, including urban, front country, and back country opportunities. The American Hiking Society gets their boots muddy on the trail by supporting good trail stewardship, but also brings those muddy boots to the doors of Congress to do the nitty gritty work of ensuring funding for old trails and new trails preservation of our public lands, and protection of the hiking experience itself. Wesley just happens to be the perfect man to tell us about the AHS. He's an avid outdoorsman himself and was called the most inspiring man on the Pacific Crest Trail by Outside Magazine for his 2,600-mile journey from Mexico to Canada while managing his cerebral palsy. Now's a good time to find your preferred fireside beverage and pull up a chair to the fire and get ready to listen to Wesley Trimble from the American Hiking Society. Welcome to Camping Out. I'm Dan Camp, and today I get to have a fireside chat with Wesley Trimble and the American Hiking Society. The AHS envisions a world where everyone feels welcome in the American hiking community. This means having permanent access to meaningful hikes, including urban, front country, and backcountry opportunities. The AHS is also involved in advocacy to back policy issues and legislation aimed to ensure funding for trails, preservation of public lands, and protection of the hiking experience itself. Wesley is an avid outdoorsman himself, being called the most inspiring man on the PCT by Outside Magazine for his 2,600-mile journey from Mexico to Canada while managing his cerebral palsy. As someone who cares deeply about hiking and the efforts to bring more people outdoors, Wesley is the perfect man to tell us more about AHS. Wesley Trimble, welcome to Camping Out. Thanks for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to see you. For for those of you listening, Wesley has this most epic beard. And uh, it's like the thing, like if you imagine like a Greek god having like the coolest long beard. So uh, it's a nice visual here. (laughs) And you're in in Colorado, right? I am. I'm on the, the front range of Colorado. Uh, just a little bit west of uh, Colorado Springs at, at the moment. Epic, epic. Uh, now, I, I do these interviews throughout the day, and some, you know, a lot of the times they align to the evening. So I'll ask my guests what their preferred fireside beverage is. And a lot of the times it's like a bourbon or a beer or something like that. Uh, do you have like a daytime preferred fireside beverage? <laughs> well, um, I, I did listen to a couple of your past podcasts, so I realized I, I needed to, to up my game. So I did get a... <laughs> a non-alcoholic uh, brew since I am technically on the clock. Um, this one is um, Athletic Brewing Company. Um, and this one's the outside, or excuse me, Upside Dom, uh, which is their golden um, um, ale, which is pretty good. I, you know, I prefer the, 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 the full strength um, <laughs> uh, when, when that's appropriate. Uh, and I've never really been one for non-alcoholic beers, but this one actually tastes better than anything I've ever had in terms of wow. non-alcoholic. And so that might be. I mean, you you're like one upping everybody by still bringing a, a non-alcoholic beer to a to a, a lunchtime conversation. So that's. Okay. <laughs> I didn't have any uh, NA, so I, I just grabbed my go-to the Ahas. You grab them at Walmart wherever you go get your shopping. It's got a little bit of green tea in it uh, with my one of my rafting koozies. So trying nice. to keep it 
themed to our outdoorsy conversation. Um, we got a lot to unpack here and, uh, you've had some really epic experiences and you continue to do some really great things in the outdoors. Uh, but let's talk about the American hiking society first. And I thought maybe the best way to do that was to let you tell us in a nutshell, uh, what AHS does. Yeah. I mean, your, your intro basically hit the nail on the head, um, in terms of like what we do, um, but kind of to fill in some of the, the details, um, We've been around for more than 40 years, coming up on 45 years this fall. Uh, we started um, in Washington, D.C. as an advocacy organization, basically being the voice for the hiking community when it comes to uh, legislation and public policy, um, especially with uh, the federal land managers and Congress as, the, as they um, make policies and legislation that relates to uh, public lands and, and hiking trails and the, the hiking experience overall. So that's how, that's really kind of where we got our start, as well as uh, we do a variety of stewardship um, um, activities and uh, programs. Um, some of those, um, they all the way back uh, to when we were founded, our week-long volunteer vacations, which allows people to uh, basically come out with us um, for a week-long uh, service trip where we do uh, trail maintenance, trail construction, uh, and we, in a typical year, obviously with COVID, things are a little bit different this year. In most years, we operate um, a variety of volunteer vacations all across the country, ranging from uh, the Virgin Islands to Alaska and kind of everything in between. Um, and then we also operate a, a National Trails Day. And so we do a lot of coordination from a national level uh, for National Trails Day, which takes place on the first Saturday of June of every year. And that started in uh, 1993. So we've been doing that for quite a while as well. Okay. Um, and so those are our, kind of our main facets of, of our organization and the ways in which we kind of um, live out our, our mission. Yeah. And I think it's really cool. I mean, you guys are doing everything from being boots on the ground, literally in the mud, doing the trail stewardship side of things, which uh, is really interesting. And I want to get into that next, but you guys are also doing like this advocacy work and you're, you're getting your boots on the ground in places that, uh, you know, someone who really, really enjoys being out in the woods might necessarily kind of see as intimidating. Uh, so I, I would love to touch on those two different aspects and, and how they come together. My first question being, do you think, do you think it's important for someone, you know, like in DC, a politician to, you know, go and see these wonderful places? I mean, I think of, I think of Theodore Roosevelt coming out and seeing the West and how that kind of changed his life and his time with, um, with John Muir. And, you know, that like foundationally changed the way that he saw uh, public lands and, and uh, the facilitation of, of adding those to the government. So do you think that's a key factor and maybe something that's being missed in the advocacy side? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a key component of like, we, we value and we, um, we prioritize the things that we love and the things that we know and understand. And so if, if people in Washington don't understand or have like connections to the outdoors from their personal experiences, you know, that they can easily miss, you know, why a lot of their constituents uh, take so much time to invest in these places, whether that's through advocacy work or just spending time outdoors. And so, so I think that's, that's a key component that we, we always remind um, uh, people it, in DC that there, you know, there's more than 48 million people in the hiking community that are out there um, enjoying these places. And, and a lot of them are giving back to these places. And so I think if, when they see those numbers and kind of understand that they realize uh, kind of the magnitude of, of, 
of what it means to, to get outside and enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, trail stewardship is uh, is something that I think we need to continue talking about more and more, especially as we see this uptick in people wanting to get into these wild spaces. And I think you and I are a lot alike in that we want to see more people in those those spaces. That's the goal, you know, to bring people out, but to do it in a way that keeps them pristine and keeps them looking nice. So I was uh, curious as someone who spent a lot of time on trails and someone who works on this every day, uh, what are, you know, like three, three main things that you could say that, you know, for someone who wants to take a better care of their natural spaces and, and their, and their trails, uh, what, what are three things that people should be aware of or be doing better? Yeah. So I think there's a, a variety of things that people can do, um, to, uh, mitigate their impact outside because obviously no matter um, who you are or how you get outside that there's always going to be uh, a certain amount of impact that you have um, right. on those uh, natural uh, spaces. And so I think, you know, looking at it from a perspective of like how you can get involved, um, whether that's through uh, local trail organizations or like national trail organizations like American Hiking Society um, and, and consider like volunteering, um, even if it's just one, one day a summer to like get out there, um, and learn because like you'll, I, I, I wouldn't say I promise, but I highly encourage people to get out there because I, I do think that people will, um, get more out of the experience than, mm-hmm. than they, than they think. Um, and being able to, to kind of establish a legacy of giving back to the places that you, you love to enjoy is, is really important. So like that involvement, uh, piece is important. There's also like an educational component to that of like learning about uh, like leave no trace or like how you can be a good steward um, and how you can make sure that you can minimize your your, your impact is important. And then also uh, another great way to get involved is is through supporting um, organizations, uh, whether that's through um, donating or becoming members to um, American Hiking or and or your local. Um, trail organizations to really be able to support that work as well through kind of the financial side of of the equation is also helpful. I think those three things um, are absolutely key um, to really um, making sure that people um, are more than just creators out um, in uh, wild places that they um, will take um, kind of ownership and, and care for these places, I think is, is key for long-term um, sustainability of these places. Yeah. Wow. Great. That's a great answer. And uh, you brought up service as the first one. And I think that's such a powerful uh, motivator for a lot of people. And especially in this time where we're craving, you know, uh, intimacy with other humans, you know, and, and being around in these cool outdoor spaces, uh, you know, that might be something that's hard to do uh, for a lot of people in this space and time, but service, man, you can get lost in that. That's a, that's a great answer. And then, uh, you know, you kind of have it for the people who don't necessarily, maybe they're not as social butterfly as, as uh, others so that, you know, they can get involved in the administrative side and, and the donation portions of things. So there's, that's cool. That's, those are great answers. Um, you talked about leave no trace. And I think that's something that people, it's like a mantra. Almost people will say it, but they might not necessarily know exactly what it means. Uh, would you mind talking a little bit about leave no trace and, and uh, your experiences with that? And, and, you know, maybe some key takeaways for people who want to be cleaner hikers. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me personally, uh, kind of growing up in the outdoors, and I know we'll kind of touch base on my story a little bit later, but just the concept that like my parents kind of um, instilled in me of of just um, always leaving the place better than you found it is kind of mm-hmm. kind of maybe the, the key principle. And then uh, the Center for Outdoor Ethics, uh, which kind of developed these these core seven principles um, of like planning ahead, uh, travel uh, traveling and camping on durable surfaces. Um, disposing of waste properly, um, leave what you find, uh, minimize uh, campfire impact, uh, respect wildlife, and uh, be considerate of other users. Um, it's kind of the, the core of those values. Yeah. Um, it's really just set up to, um, to make sure that like, when we are out in these places that uh, we're not having a really negative impact, um, especially in um, sensitive ecosystems, um, whether that's in like alpine tundra situations or um in some in like fragile desert ecology or riparian um uh, wetland areas like all these areas um can be impacted uh that that take a long time to be uh recovered and so i think uh that is what i was speaking to a little bit uh on the last question of like the education component whether that's education of um of like how you can uh, get outside and, and um, recreate responsibly, which is a huge ca- campaign that we have been um, promoting as an organization in conjunction with REI and a variety of coalition partners during COVID of, of what it means to recreate responsibly. And mm-hmm. if people are interested in kind of reading more about that and, and being safe to get outside during COVID, uh, just recreation or uh, recreate responsibly.org, uh, um, I believe is the address for that. Cool. Um, and so all of those, those components of, um, of just, I think it really just comes down to kind of planning and um, and being educated about um, the impacts that that people can have on on wild spaces. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned like the different habitats and how you know every habitat, like a riparian zone, is going to be different than an alpine desert. And it made me think of I was in Glacier National Park over the summer. And, you know, the snow is still receding. It's July, but the snow is still receding from, uh, you know, the Logan Pass area. And uh, the Hidden Lake hike is very accessible and easy to get to. Uh, but when the snow is there, it's hard to see exactly where the trail is supposed to be. So they have, you know, rangers posted up in those areas. And a lot of people, you know, it's fanning out. It was a very popular hike. It was definitely not socially distanced in the way that you think it might be. Um, but the, the ranger was there talking about, Hey guys, I need you to stay in here because it doesn't look like much out there, but these plants have, have such a short growing season that they're not covered by snow. They might look like a little weed that might be in your backyard, but these are so incredibly important to the entire ecosystem. So that education component. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. Um, I think that's, maybe like one of the most important things as, as someone who loves the outdoors to try to encourage others to do. Now I'm going to mention my two biggest pet peeves on people who go out hiking. Uh, one is I, I like seeing the dogs out there. I think that it's good, but people who don't pick up or will pick up the poop and then leave it like next to the trail. And then people who uh, cut corners of switchbacks, those are like my two greatest pet peeves. Uh, do you have a greatest pet peeve of, of trail stewardship? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
Yeah, like I don't know. I'm probably similar to you. Um, like, and, and again, it just really comes down to like the education component because a lot of it's just like people don't understand. And so, like, um, you know, I was actually in, in Glacier National Park um, a, a few years ago as well, um, mm-hmm. 2018 maybe, um, and was on a very popular trail that had a switchback. And there was a, a group of like, um, probably like 20 somethings uh, that were, that were cutting a switchback. And, and I was actually at the top of the switchback, like as they were cutting it. So I like, I stopped them and, and, you know, uh, briefly tried to explain that, you know, cutting switchbacks causes erosion, which, you know, like degrades um, those, that plant life and creates the damage on the trails and, and just tried to be respectful. Like, um, you know, I think in, in this day and age, um, it's, it's easy for people to like, uh, um, try to shame people mm-hmm. about like their, their lack of leave no trace, um, uh, principles or like knowledge or whatnot. Um, right. and I think it really needs to just come from a sense of respect and, and yeah, like when I'm out on the trail, I'll see things that like really, that really bother me. And if I, if I can't speak into that in a respectable, in a respectable way, um, a respectful way, um, I'll try to do that. And other times I just have to like, let it be and, and, and realize that, um, you know, part of that of like respecting other people's experiences, um, right. of leave no trace kind of the last principle. Um, obviously if, if there's a lot of people that are like coming down on people really hard, then they're not going to feel, um, welcome in those spaces to begin with. So there's mm-hmm. definitely a lot of, um, it can be a pretty delicate balance of, of what that looks like, of, of how to educate people without, um, calling people out in, in a harsh way. Um, and so I think that's, yeah, a challenge that, that the outdoor community faces as a whole these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's super hard to, to bring that to somebody's attention and especially in a group of people where they, they feel like they are being called out and your, their immediate, uh, I guess reaction is to get defensive. My girlfriend is actually the pro. She does this so well. Like I know that if we see something on the trail, she's going to handle it tactfully, whether it's a kid or a group of, of adults, she's really good at it. So yeah, coming at it with a more of a compassionate side than a, uh, a chip on your shoulder. Absolutely. Um, now your core values at AHS, uh, are pretty cool. I, this, I, you know, I, I always peruse the websites and look at everything before I get a chance to talk to anybody. And this is what stuck with me most. I just thought it was super cool. Uh, and it really lays out exactly what you guys are doing. Cause you, you are protecting the wild spaces, but you're also advocating for, um, people who don't always find their way into natural places to find their way. So people of color, uh, people who are um, in low financial brackets, you know, you're, you're looking to make it so everybody gets to experience or have access to these, these wonderful places. So I'd like to read through them quick, just so everybody listening can hear them. It's um, we are hikers, hiking matters, trails are for everyone. We share the trail and hiking inspires sustainability. So when you when you hear those and when you think about those those principles, um, I mean, where do, where do you think what inspires you? I guess from those from those principles, and uh, you know, is there any? It's easy to read through them. Is there anything that's deeper there that you want to hit on that uh, are hidden in those those bits? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I could go into each of them, but in terms of kind of selecting some highlights, um, you know, one thing we've been talking about as an organization over the last couple of years specifically um, is like really like looking at like what, 
who is a hiker um, and how do you define that? Because right. I think there is kind of some like cultural context of what people associate with hiking. Um, and so there's a lot of people that might get outdoors and, and go on trails or go for walks or whatnot um, that we consider a part of our community, but they would never like uh, classify themselves as like a hiker because they don't feel like they're hardcore enough or, you know, they're going to go out on an overnight trip or uh, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in terms of um, American Hiking Society and, and our organization, we're like really looking at like the concept of, of it really being about uh, foot traffic or assisted um, travel outside on paths, whether that's um, natural surfaces or paved surfaces. Um, it really just comes down to kind of getting outdoors um, and in nature. And, um, you know, there's a lot of great um, health benefits, both uh, mm-hmm. physical and mental health benefits to um, being in nature and, and, and walking through nature, natural spaces. Um, and so a lot of those benefits, you, you don't have to be like in a national park or in some remote wilderness to really, um, to really be able to access those uh, benefits that just like local parks um, can really be um, those spaces of like restoration, which I think obviously with so many people coming out during COVID, I think is, is a good representation that people can really find uh, restoration and, and can find kind of, uh, they can center themselves and, and yeah. be themselves um, and find uh, some peace in the outdoors. And we really see that as something that like everyone in America should have access to. And so that's why we, we look at more than just, you know, I think when people think of American Hiking Society, they think, oh, you're protecting the big uh, federal lands out West, which we definitely do work on, on those type of issues. Um, but we also are uh, passionate about making sure that there are front country and urban um, opportunities for people to get on trails. Yeah. And I think that that's such a great point because there's such a misconception of, of what a hike can be. Uh, I call it a hike when I take a 20 minute, 20 to 30 minute walk with my dog. Most days I walk from my house. They got this big little open area here at the bottom. I call it my daily hike. Because I'm going out, uh, I'm trying to observe things. I'm trying to be present. I'm trying to, what birds do I see? Is it sunny? Is it raining a little bit? Oh my gosh, the landscape's beautiful. What's going on in my neighbor's yard here? You know, like, you know, there's such a misconception that it has to be, you know, you have to have your trekking poles and you have to have the, the special shoes. And uh, I mean, how do you encourage more people to find those local, those local spots? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, we, we have a couple of resources on our website for people um, to find uh, uh, trails and open spaces um, through the hiking project. Uh, but there's other great um, ways. Uh, one of the best resources out there is actually, um, um, I believe it's parkserve.org. It's maintained by the Trust for Public Lands and it's a great database of, of open spaces. Um, and and the in and the trust for public lands does some great work on on doing like analysis of how close people live to open spaces because one of their big missions um, is to make sure that everyone is within a ten minute walk of of a trail or, or of an open space mm-hmm. um, and uh, so like their maps are, are pretty detailed um, and people can take a look at, at those to just find. Um, like what is available to them. And I think a lot of people, you know, during COVID have kind of seen that, like they, they go out yeah. for a walk in their local community and they stumble into maybe an undeveloped area, like whether it's like an actual park or just something that just hasn't been developed yet. 
um, and, and find these kind of cool places that are, that are close to um, their home. So I encourage that. And obviously, you know, looking on Google for, uh, Google does a pretty good job of um, locating uh, parks on their, on their uh, maps as well. Mm-hmm. I think those are all, uh, you know, great uh, places to kind of get a feel for what's available. And there's all kinds of other apps, uh, Gaia GPS and um, all trails all provide great resources for finding trails and, and access. Um, I think another key thing that you kind of um, you mentioned a minute ago was just like the concept that like it, it's like hiking is a low barrier to entry sport, like unlike skiing or mountain biking um, or like climbing that you have to, you really have to invest in a lot of gear. Like mm-hmm. really for hiking, it's all about having, you know, a good fitting pair of, of shoes um, and a handful of essentials that you can throw in a bag and then go outside um, and so like we see that as kind of um, the gateway to the outdoor um, industry as a whole, right? Because in yes. most cases, if you're going hiking, you have to hike on a trail to the crag um, or to the rock. Um, or if you're doing paddling, you, uh, there's typically a trail that goes down to uh, um, the, the creek or the, the river. And so like, I feel like in many ways, hiking is kind of that, that, that easy access point. And we see that as a great way to get um, everyone involved uh, with the outdoors. Yes. Yes. And it's such a cool activity because uh, you know, like some of the activities you mentioned rock climbing, I'm very novice at rock climbing. And part of that is because you have to know a lot and you have to, if you're going to do trad climbing, you have to know how to place gear and sport climbing. You have to know how to clip your stuff. You have to know how to find the routes, which is hard to do Uh, paddling. The same thing. If you're in a kayak, you got to know how to roll and you got to know how to uh, do swift water rescues. Like there's a huge education barrier to a lot of those as well as the financial barrier. I love hiking because your knowledge base just continuously grows and you get curious as you go out there, you find new plants and you hear a bird maybe that you've never heard of, or um, you see something on the horizon. You see the Rayleigh light scattering, the mountains change colors in the distance and uh, your curiosity starts to mean that you you start to pile up field guides in your in your bookshelves and you start to I don't know just kind of figure out what tickles your curiosity which I think is such a beautiful growing learning environment that everybody should be in. Absolutely. Um you know I I have uh you know I've been outside for a lot a good chunk of my life, you know, I probably have more than 10,000 miles of trail under my belt, uh, but I'm still constantly like learning things. Even this week uh I was listening to um, uh, another podcast and there was another like trail tip. I was like, Oh, I'd never thought of it or thought of that before, but that makes sense. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's definitely something that like you can always constantly be learning more things. And, uh, and and like you said, there's the, the, the the amount of knowledge that you need to get out there is pretty minimal. Like uh, we have some great resources on our website as well, like about the 10 essentials and how to plan a hike, how to do that uh, safely to make sure that people know where, uh, where you're going. So if something goes wrong, they, they know who to contact. And so there's, there's still a handful of things that are really helpful for people to know and, and some key education. Um, but it's so easy to just kind of go out there um, and kind of explore uh, open spaces close to your, your home and then hopefully, you know, uh, grow into, you know, bigger adventures as, as time goes on, if that's something that you're interested in, or just, you know, be content with enjoying 15 minutes of of nature, um, to Mm -hmm. really, you know, escape the 
the 24-hour news cycle and, and yes. the screen and all of that. Yes. Just take a deep breath in, out. That can be powerful. I want to talk about barriers to getting outside and where the world is, if, if you're an optimistic person, the world is becoming a place that is uh, looking to uh, inspire and you're, you're looking to, um, to grow communities and, and make connections. And that happens so naturally in, in outdoor recreation. Uh, it's so beautiful. I, I think anybody that's been around it for long enough has seen those connections as build and the people smiles and whether it be someone who's 85 years old or someone who's 12 years old, like the way that they light up when they become curious and they fall in love with something outdoors. There are a lot of barriers uh, for people to get out in the, these natural places. So I was curious just with, through your work, if you have seen like maybe top three barriers to, to people even getting out to hike in the first place and then ways that we might be able to, to circumvent those. Yeah. So I don't know if I would say I could like narrow it down to like three, like the three top things, but maybe mm-hmm. a couple of things that are uh, kind of top of mind for, for me that I, uh, I could kind of touch base on. And it, it really comes down to like access for, for um, different communities is, is going to look differently. Right. So in terms right. of like, when we talk about access, um, we could talk about um, uh, physical access. So maybe for uh, people with disabilities, like trails, uh, that you know, there are some trails out there that are are rated as um, ADA um, accessible, but sometimes those aren't man- maintained well, or um, or they don't have great views because of just the way that they're designed. Um, so right. there's um, you know physical access issues for for certain groups of people. There's um, there's cultural um, barriers um, for for other uh, groups as well, and or like socioeconomic uh, barriers. To, to getting outside. So a couple a couple of things that we're that we're working on as as an organization is one, um, there's a number of um, key legislation that are going that are kind of in progress as we speak um, that kind of address some of those. Um, and so two of those um, is one is called uh, the Transit to Trails Act, um, and this act is is really geared towards providing funding for public transportation to uh, trailheads, which obviously is another component um, to um, to access and to eliminating yeah. those barriers. The people, you, you know, with like for one, people who just um, don't have access to um, to trailheads because they're not um, accessible via public transportation is an as an issue. That's something I took for granted my entire life. I, I never, I mean, until the last couple of years, I, I never really thought about it hard enough to be, I took it for granted. You know, we'd hop in the car and we'd go, but not everybody has a vehicle. Not everybody has access to just getting in the car and driving a couple hours to a, a place. So yeah, I think it's, I think that is such a, wow. I didn't, I didn't know this act was, was something that's coming about. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, and so beyond, and beyond just that component, it's also like with, with COVID, like with so many people um, enjoying trails, like it's so easy to show up at a parking lot that's that's completely full of cars, and then you either have to like try to squeeze in or or go find another another um, trailhead mm-hmm. um, that might have more parking or whatnot. So the 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 transit component um, addresses that as well as you know reducing um, car emissions and all of that type of stuff as well. Um, and then another key can, uh, piece of legislation that is kind of uh, beginning to move through Congress right now is the Outdoor for All Act. Um, 
And this focuses on um, providing, making sure that there's better funding to fund um, parks and uh, natural spaces and trails for um, more urban communities uh, through a program. There's a there's an existing fed, there's basically one federal program um, that does primarily focus on funding for open spaces and parks um, in federal areas. I believe it's called the Outdoor Recreation Legacy Partnership Program, which is a long-term. Uh, yeah, what's long the acronym day. for that? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, um, but basically, uh, but it focuses on um, using some money from the Lightning Water Conservation Fund um, to be able to provide um, expanding access to um, to uh, more urban uh, communities uh, specifically. Um, so that is kind of another key component of making sure that uh, that there are um, urban and suburban access to to trails. Epic, epic. And so somebody listening, if they want to like call their senators and get people fired up for that, is that something they should be doing? Or how does someone like me, uh, you know, help make sure that this is something that gets pushed through? Yeah, uh, calling uh, your representatives are always a great way to do that. Um, an easy first step is going on to the American Hiking Society website and we have an advocacy page. I think it might have a link for uh, like take action. Um, and, and on that page, you can um, fill out, uh, we basically pre-populate um, a little letter that explains uh, the bills and, and what, they, what they mean. Mm -hmm. um, and you can easily just put in your information and it'll tell you um, who your representatives are and then you can just send them um, uh, an email with within like two minutes um, nice. to be able to do that, which is a great, um, easy first step into the world of advocacy. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there's also details there on how to contact your your uh, uh, representatives uh, because uh, if you look at in terms of overall advocacy, um, in terms of like number of emails that um, someone will get from in Congress versus someone who gets like e uh, like phone calls, they typically will. Uh, prioritize or or rank uh, the phone calls a little bit higher than they do um, like emails in some cases. Uh, so yeah, so all of that type of information, if people are interested in taking action on either of those two pieces of legislation, uh, they can always go to our website to kind of learn more about uh, those pieces of legislation and, and then take action. That is so cool. And it makes it easy. I'll, I'll make sure you've named a lot of really good resources. I'll tag those in the show notes to make it easy for people to get on board and, and to check those things out. Uh, do you think it's important for, for every outdoorsman to be a, uh, to be involved in advocacy or is that something that only certain people should be in? I mean, what's the viewpoint here on, on who should get involved in something like this? Yeah. I mean, I think from our uh, perspective as an organization, the more people who get involved and the more people who speak up for the things that they care about is is the better likelihood that uh, that your representatives, whether that's your senators or or um, or your representatives, um, uh, will be willing to to take action on on some of these bills. Um, so it's not something that like yeah like some I feel like uh, kind of uh, politics and policy can be. Uh, so complex and under like understanding the nuances of everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's, it, it can be pretty straightforward for people to take just like easy actions uh, um, around specific pieces of legislation. And you don't have to be an expert um, in, in what it means to, 
um, to advocate for specific things. Um, and so I think everyone should, should get involved to a certain degree. Obviously, some people might have more of a passion to get deeper into it and understand kind of the nuances of, of, of how all of it works. Um, but obviously, like, in, in this day and age, like, we only have so much time um, right. in the day. I completely understand if people are like, oh, like, like writing an actual letter, like through the mail to, to, um, to my member of Congress isn't something that I have time or the desire to do. But hey, I might be willing uh, to tweet my representative and just say, hey, like, please support uh, this bill or right. or what. So I think there's varying degrees of how people can get involved, but um, if you're willing to take, you know, two minutes, like maybe, maybe every six months to like check in on what's going on and, and what you uh, want to, um, um, to like reach out to your uh, members of Congress on is, is a great way to, to, to make an impact. Yeah. Yeah. And Twitter is, has power. We've seen, you can tweet at anybody and uh, sometimes stir up a little viral response. That's, that's hilarious. Hey campers, I've got a pretty cool opportunity. I wanted to tell you about real quick. Wildman Adventure Resort, the amazing multi-sport outdoor recreation paradise that I started my own guiding career at is hiring for the 2021 season. If you've ever been interested in possibly becoming a guide or you're a guide looking for an opportunity to get in with the largest whitewater outfitter in the Midwest, here is your shot. To apply, check out wildmanresort.com jobs. That's wildmanresort.com J-O-B-S. And when you fill out that application, make sure to mention that you heard about this from the Camping Out podcast. Tell them Dan sent you. Now, we've talked a lot about AHS, but we, I want to talk about you, the man that I'm speaking with here, because uh, I think that's super important. You've got an amazing story. Uh, I'd like to start with, how did you get involved with being outside, and like, how did that lead you to become part of the AHS? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I basically, I, I was privileged to grow up in a small mountain community here in Colorado, Um in, and I was born into a very outdoorsy family. And so mm-hmm. my parents actually carried me up um, my first Colorado 14,000 foot peak uh, when I was just a toddler. Wow. Um, and so, so I like to tell, like, like, obviously I don't remember that experience, um, but I like to tell people that like, I feel like that in some ways kind of set the trajectory yeah. of, of my life in some ways that for those of people who have stood on uh, a, a big mountain summit before. There's um, an amazing experience and kind of a spirit of the place. Um, and so I think I like to think that I kind of got addicted to the thin alpine <laughs> air uh, when I was when I was a toddler, and and so I've kind of been um, in the outdoors ever since. Um, mm-hmm. I um, part of my backstory. Um, I actually was born with a disability. Uh, I was born with a cerebral palsy that affects the coordination um, and strength, um, on the right side of my body, uh, which has been something that I've kind of had to work with for my entire life. Um, right. and so for me, um, I'm like the outdoors has always been a place of comfort and, um, um, and a way for me to kind of be myself because like growing up, um, especially like in PE and doing physical, uh, like sports or different things, I always felt out of place and, um, 
But uh, when I was nine, uh, nine years old, uh, my parents and my sister and I set out on our first Colorado 14er as a family. Um, and so I climbed my first uh, Colorado Fortner uh, when I was nine and we climbed wow. Mount Princeton. Um, and the, it was, the, the descent was awful, like um, <laughs> just in pain and in tears. Um, luckily my parents had uh, fun, fun size candy bars. Um, I believe nice. it was uh, Butterfingers primarily uh, that kept me um, focused on moving uh, down the mountain. Um, and so through that experience, um, it, it just kind of um, instilled a sense of um, of like achievement and and just like um, a, a little bit of um, um, I don't know how I would call it maybe um, like self confidence I guess and so yeah. and a couple of years after that uh, my family did another fourteen or about two years later um, and when I was getting close to, to the top of this mountain. Um, I kind of got the second wind. Um, I don't know if it was the Gatorade that I started to drink or whatnot, but I just like flew up the last, like maybe 500 vertical feet of the mountain and beat my sister. Um, I I have an older sister who's um, about five years older than I am. And, uh, um, and, uh, um, and so like for me, like to beat her, like it's not something that typically happens uh, with any type of physical thing. And so like that, like I kind of felt like I, Kind of stumbled into something that that I really felt like my like my truest self for maybe the first time um, in in my life, um, yeah. and so like that has really kind of fueled uh, all kinds of adventures um, um, over the years. And do you still feel like when you're in in those natural spaces, you feel as your truest self? Absolutely. I I think um, I think part of it is. It's just the fact that when I'm out there, especially like my my favorite trails is like when I get above tree line, like that's just yeah. like my happy place. Um, but I think part of it is like when you're in those places, like you're less likely to be thinking about like what you need to do for work the next day or like like conversations that you had last week or the news that you read about. So part of it, like that that truest self component is like, I feel most centered and, and most in the present when I'm um, in these places and especially above tree line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like, yeah, I feel like a lot of times I kind of find a rhythm in these, these spaces that feels much more uh, natural as well. I feel like with technology and the way that society, the fast pace of society, like we're just not meant to, to do this like nonstop um, <laughs> And so like being yeah. able to disconnect, I felt, I feel like I can uh, be myself and, and rest and, and find contentment and, and whatnot in, in those places. Yes. Yes. And you have gone big. I mean, you've done some incredible things. Uh, the Pacific Crest Trail, 2,600 miles, Mexico, all the way up to Canada. That is something that a lot of people start and never finish, you know, like that's, that's a pretty big push. And, and you've climbed all 54 of the 14ers in Colorado. Correct. Yeah. And you've done that while managing a uh, physical disability. So, I mean, for, for you, was that something that pushed you or was it something, I mean, you know, I'm fortunate enough to not have to even think about something like that. And, and even thinking about doing the PCT to me is almost, I mean, I start to get anxious thinking about doing that. So uh, I guess, how did you manage all of that while taking on those grand adventures? One step at a time. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me, I mean, it really does come down to like, 
you know, I think sometimes people think like, oh, like I could never do like the like 2,600 miles. Like that is like, I can't even wrap my mind around what that would look like to actually walk that type of distance. And for me, it was really like, it was just like baby steps along the way of like, yeah. you know, getting comfortable um, with like being outside, doing mountains, doing short backpack trips um, as a kid and into my kind of um, early years and, and then kind of building upon uh, those experiences. I mean, there definitely are people that go like from couch to trailhead to, <laughs> to do these trails, uh, but that just definitely wasn't my experience. And for me, um, for, for me, like, I think um, I, I have a, a short film um, about uh, my uh, kind of project of climbing all of Colorado's 14ers. And um, a big part of that, um, like, I've realized in my life that uh, with cerebral palsy, there's kind of um, an insecurity and, and weakness involved with that, a, a physical weakness. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times, you know, our culture really uh, shies away from talking about weakness. Um, and we always want to talk about our strengths and, and live out of our strengths. Um, but for me, there is something that I've found that there, like I can tap into a strength within that weakness Um and like for for me, like that has been um, an empowering experience to realize that yeah, like I have limitations, um, and I can kind of push those. And like the more I experience and the more I'm willing to, to push it, um, yeah. I can kind of grow out of those. But I, I I will never like not have cerebral palsy, right? So there's <laughs> right. always a certain amount of uh, physical limitations. Well, I think most of the time we're just held up by our our fears, whether that's people with disabilities or able-bodied people. Um, that um that 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 a lot of times yeah our fear will kind of prevent us from from engaging um in in some epic adventures whether that that be on the trail or just in life in general right um and so for me like i I don't know anything beyond uh cerebral palsy um, i don't know what life would look like without cerebral palsy and so for me it's just been a matter of kind of persevering um and i'm just like learning to find contentment in, in who I am and, and my identity and realizing that my identity isn't totally confined or isn't confined by, uh, by a disability. Um, but at the same time, you know, yeah, like, like that, like my limitations are always there. And so it's always um, a matter of like kind of working through those. Yes, yes, yes. That is so great. Uh, for someone who's considering doing a through hike, what would you say is the greatest lesson that you learned on the trail that stuck with you to today? Um, greatest lesson of like, so I think a couple pieces of advice, like one, like the more planning and the more preparation that you can do, like the better, like your, your odds are of being successful. And like, for me, like that, that, those baby steps, like getting there, like this year before I did the PCT, I did the Colorado trail, which is 500 miles. And I did really great on, uh, the Colorado trail. Like I didn't get um, any blisters or had any feet problems. And so I thought like, oh, I'm like dialing this in. Um, and then I get to the desert and on the PCT and within 60 miles, I have uh, so much pain in my, in my right uh, uh, calf, which is uh, my weak side that mm-hmm. I, I was like pretty sure that I was going to have to like end my through hike after only 60 miles. Oh. And I had to take, uh, I had to take four days or three or four days off um, to just like recover enough to keep going. And I had to kind of slow my pace. Um, and so I think that's part of it is also people need to realize like, um the best advice is like uh like 
do what you need to do um, to, and like listen to your body and um, and you have to be willing to adjust. Um, you can't go into it with a, a, a very set plan of like, this is what I'm gonna get to this location and, and have everything planned out that it really has to be something that kind of unfolds uh, naturally. Like you can mm-hmm. all, do all the planning in the world, but in the end, uh, the trail and uh, and the natural environment will have um, have its way uh, with you regardless of your plans or not. Um, right. And so that's just a matter of of being willing to um, to cope and uh, persevere. Because I think that's a part of it. Like you know, I think it's easy to romanticize hiking in general. Like you see things on Instagram of all these beautiful places, but they, they most times don't capture like the grit or the, <laughs> yeah. the dirt and the sweat that it takes to get there. Right. And so right. in some ways, like that's a dis- dis- disadvantage to Instagram and, and hike in that like kind of cultural component of hiking. These people are, think it's all about beautiful landscapes and, 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 and that's like an incredible part about it, but like, there's still going to be, you know, sweat and tears along the way, especially on a long distance hike. Yes. Yes. That is great advice. Um, your, your short films are amazing. I'm going to encourage everybody that hasn't, uh, seen them to, to see them. They are really well done. I want to respect your time though, and ask, uh, kind of wrap things up and get into our final bits here before we get into our final questions though. I, I like to ask what is, what's like the moonshot. So if you have like all the resources, all the money, all the support in the world, uh, for yourself and for AHS, uh, I guess, what does the future look like for, for you and for AHS? Great question. Um, I think for AHS, like I think envisioning a world where like everyone has like is within walking distance of a trail, it would be like what, what we envision, um, the world to look like and, and making sure that like those are like meaningful um, experiences um, mm-hmm. I think is, is key um, for us. So I think that would probably be the moonshot um, and that we would see um, a greater um, that um, like if, when you look across like America as a whole in terms of like demographics that like all of those demographics would be represented within the hiking community mm-hmm. um, I think is also a thing that that we would see as like this is this is like what we envision as like a, a diverse hiking community. Yeah, more people seeing themselves as hikers. Yeah, and then for me personally, like one thing that I'm really passionate about, and I, we didn't really talk too much about this, but like getting my start in conservation um, when I was um, in college uh, through working in a, a youth core um, of youth conservation core, um, realizing like you know, for many years, I was just, a I, I just recreated in the outdoors. Um, but then when I got this sense of like giving back and, and, and building a legacy in some ways, a physical legacy of building trails, uh, I've had the, um, the privilege to work on building some of the continental divide trail. Yeah. Um, and so for me, like a part of my, like my, uh, my moonshot would be that like, like everyone in the hiking community would be willing to like, um, uh, do their part to like give back because of, you know, the 48 million people who participate in hiking, only a small, tiny fraction of those people, um, will get out and, and, and improve trails and whatnot. And obviously not everyone, um, can do that or has the ability or the resources, um, or the time to do that. Um, or maybe not right now in, in certain seasons of life, but maybe later down the road, maybe that is the case. But for me, my moonshot would just to be, to see, um, like 
it's been so impactful for me. Um, I would love like everyone to be able to have that experience of giving back because you do get, you will get more out of it than you, you give um, to these places. Yes. Great answer. I can actually see uh, the continental divide trail from my window in my house. So that, that's cool that you, you've worked on it. That's awesome. All right. Uh, closing questions here is five of them. Uh, call them the final five. They're pretty straightforward and a little bit of thinking involved. And uh, I love these because you kind of, you know, learn the last final bits to pull the whole story together. So the first one's really easy. Uh, where can we find you and AHS on social media? And is there anything else that you'd like to plug or bring awareness to? Sure. Um, so in terms of um, American Hiking Society, uh, the best place to go is our website, which is just AmericanHiking.org. Um, and then we have all of our social channels, uh, which are at American Hiking. So those Great. are the best ways to get involved, um, you know, sign up for our, our monthly newsletter um, to, to kind of hear about advocacy efforts um, and kind of hear about like what we're doing about like potential trips in the future is, is a great place to start. Um, and then for me personally, um, I have my, my personal website is just wesleytrimble.com and you can see um, some of my videos and, and work um, on my website. And then um, I'm on Instagram at, Amer at Wesley Trimble. Um, and, uh, but since I do, you know, some of the work with uh, social on uh, the American Hiking Society channels, I, I don't typically do a whole lot <laughs> on my personal channel. Right. Um, though, um, yeah, so I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm not like super active on, on Instagram on my personal account, uh, but that's where people can kind of connect as well. Yeah. It's kind of a good thing. I mean, if you, if you manage like a brand or anything like that, it's hard to spread yourself too thin through that social stuff. I hear you. Yeah. I'm, I'm also grateful that, uh, American Hacking has a, a new, uh, digital marketing coordinator that is, is doing, um, all of our social. And, and nice. so I kind of oversee some of that, but, um, I'm not in, in, in the, the weeds, uh, with that. Um, <laughs> right. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll do more Instagram on my personal account in the future, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Cool. Uh, number two here, what is your favorite outdoor activity and why? Um, right now, um, I probably, well, I guess I could take this from a, a couple of different perspectives. Um, yeah. um, I, I typically go for daily uh, trail runs when I can. Um, and so that's probably um, one of my like, current, like maybe not my favorite, but the, the outdoor activity that I do the most. Yeah. Um, and then my, my other favorite outdoor activity is, uh, is playing with my daughter. I have, I have a three-year-old daughter and uh, I just love getting her outside as much as possible. So whether that's, you know, a couple of days ago, uh, we built a, a pretty gigantic uh, snowman um, <laughs> or whether that's like running around and playing, playing hide and go seek or going to the park. Um, all of those outdoor um, activities um, are great. They're not maybe the types of adventures that, that, that people like dream of, but like for <laughs> me at this time of life, um, just spending any type of quality out, outside with uh, the people I care about is, is uh, key for me. Yes. Great answer. That is so cool. Uh, question number three, where is the favorite place that you've ever been to outside? Hmm. <laughs> yes. That's a great question. <laughs> um, I mean, there's so many places, um, you know, I get this question quite a bit when people like always ask, Oh, like what's your favorite trail? Right. Um, right. It's, uh, it's like, it's almost impossible to kind of 
to narrow it down to just a single um, uh, place. Um, but uh, something that is at least top of mind because it's somewhat recent, um, I was able to spend a couple of days uh, down in Southwest Colorado in the San Juan mountains and, mm-hmm. uh, and went backpacking up to um, an area called um, Ice Lake and Island Lake. Um, and they're just some really iconic um, alpine lakes here in Colorado. Um, and is, you know, I've spent, you know, tons of time up um, in the high country and, and there's definitely something kind of unique about those places. The watercolor is, is like super vivid, uh, like almost like a Caribbean wow. sea color. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it was just a very uh, special experience that I had uh, last year. Um, so that's probably what I would say, uh, just because it's probably the most uh, like top of <laughs> the freshest mind, spot yeah. uh, thing that I can think of. Cool, cool. That's awesome. I've never been, so I'll have to add that to my list. I, I keep adding to the list as I talk to people. So nice. That's that's uh, a great way to build your uh, to build your uh, hiking bucket list. Yes, yes. It's getting long, which is uh, not a bad problem to have. Uh, question number four. This one's a little tricky. What is something that you see today as a blessing that you originally saw as a mistake? Um, yeah, I would say in some ways my cerebral palsy, I guess, um, yeah. in some ways, like growing up, like I could never understand, like just the, the, the concept of like why some people are born with, uh, with disabilities and some people aren't like, it was like really hard for me to, uh, grasp and, uh, kind of wrestle with throughout yeah. my, my younger, um, years, especially like in, in primary school and whatnot. Um, and, and so, yeah, in many ways it, it felt like a, a really negative thing that I just like, I like so wish that it would go away. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now in my life, like I see it as, as a blessing in the sense that it has made my, uh, my life um, very um, enriched in a, in a different way than a lot of people experience. And yeah. so in some ways I, I see it as a blessing because it's, you know, provided me uh, uh, with some amazing opportunities that I may have not had otherwise. Yes. Yes. So cool. Uh, before question number five, uh, Wesley, I just want to take a, a second to acknowledge you for being, uh, such a cool dude, honestly, you know, going out and, and following your dreams and your passions and not only doing them, but finding ways to inspire others to, to pick up a, pick up a shovel and get involved in, in, uh, maintaining our, our beautiful public spaces and, and the work you guys do with AHS, uh, you know, uh, helping people become educated and doing the advocacy, advocacy stuff. So not everybody else has to, uh, it, it's amazing what you're doing and, uh, what AHS is doing. So, uh, keep it up now. Thank you. All right. Question number five, you ready? Yeah. When it is all said and done, you are dead and gone. All we have is your legacy to talk about as we sit around and uh, actually have an alcoholic beer, uh, by the campfire. Uh, what do you hope that we're saying about you? It's a great question. Um, I think for me, like, I think the, the biggest component is, um, is that like my family would say that, um, that I loved them well, I think is probably like the most important thing. Uh, recently, you know, thinking through this some more because I, someone asked a similar question a while back, um, yeah. or just a couple of weeks ago, really. Um, and it made me kind of process it more. Um, and I heard, um, a quote, um, from, um, there's um, a gear shop called Slim Pickens. It's um, one of it's like the first uh, black-owned gear shop in the country, mm-hmm. and 
Uh, I believe the owner's name is uh, uh, Jamaica. I apologize if I'm not getting that name right. Um, but he has an interesting quote that is, uh, to, I, and if I don't get this uh, exactly right, uh, forgive me, but the, the, the essence of it is uh, to live justly, um, uh, love kindly, and um, uh, serve humbly. Um, and adventure out um, is 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 his his phrase, um, mm-hmm. and part of that is like based in scripture. But I also think like that whole concept of 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 doing justice, um, um, loving kindly, um, humbly or humbly walking, and um, and being adventurous is is kind of like in some ways like how I would love to kind of sum everything up in into a life. And so I think if, if, if people in my life could say, yes, I think he did things that like fall in, fell into these categories, I think that would be um, a life well-lived. Absolutely. I agree. Well, Wesley, thank you so much for your time today. It was such a fun conversation. I am stoked to share it with people and I hope they, they get out and get involved with you guys. Thanks, Dan. I, I, once again, I appreciate it. Um, looking forward to it and maybe sometime we could have a, a real beer around a real campfire. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. Hey, enjoy the rest of your day. Absolutely. And that, my friends, brings us to the end of another episode of Camping Out. I hope you enjoyed listening to Wesley Trimble and learning about the American Hiking Society. Many of the things that we talked about in the show are now tagged in the show notes. So you can go in there and visit the American Hiking Society as well as check out Wesley's short films. And follow along with what they're doing and get involved. I encourage you to get involved, reach out to your representatives, and make a difference in the beautiful places that you like to recreate. If you enjoyed this episode of Camping Out, please go ahead and share it with your friends and rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. It's one of the best ways to continue to grow our audience. Speaking of growing the brand, we are live at dancamp.net for merchandise. There's hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts, The cool thing is that 10% of every purchase is going to be kicked back to an organization that supports getting more people outdoors. If you'd like to suggest a foundation that would be a good fit for that 10% kickback, please reach out to me at campingoutwithdan at gmail.com. That's it for this week, guys. I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Until then, remember, adventure comes to those who go.